0: As we come to the scripture now, let me ask you, please, to pray with me. Father, uh, this is your word to us. It's amazing that we have it. It's a great gift to us. Thank you. Uh, Please, I pray, um, may we never uh, take it for granted that we have it, but we would take it as it is for us, the very word of God. So we come uh, to listen to it. And to listen, we trust, to your spirit as he speaks to us. Uh, Bringing to light all that's in this word for us. On this day, may it work in us uh, your good pleasure uh, to equip us with everything good for doing your will. That it will work in us that which is pleasing to you. And we pray this then in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to Luke chapter 5, the gospel of Luke chapter 5. I'll read the first 11 verses. Luke chapter 5, please. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, the him there is, The flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now, we've been taking these weeks to think about, to talk about together, um, encounters that Jesus had with particular particular people. We've considered a number of such account- encounters. This week, we find Jesus encountering this man, Simon, Simon Peter, um, who is uh, one of Jesus' um, disciples, apostles, as, as we know. So we're going to ask the question, uh, what does this reveal to us about Jesus? Secondly, what does this reveal to Peter about himself? And thirdly, what does this reveal to us? And what we'll see is this, just a bit of a hint, outline, if you will, that, uh, that reveals to us about Jesus that he has a mission and that he has means by which he's going to accomplish this mission. And we find also that he's the Lord of all, but particularly this mission. And then Peter, uh, sees himself and he realizes that he himself, uh, is one who's, who's sinful. He's a sinner before God. And, but yet still he's one called. To be a part of this mission, that's the mission of Jesus. So his sin doesn't keep him from being called as one who is part of this mission of of Jesus. And, and we see that it reveals in Peter such treasuring of Jesus that he's willing to leave everything and follow him. And then, and then thirdly, what's it reveal about us? What's it reveal uh, to us about us? You about you? But that's the question, isn't it? And we'll leave that for a moment. We'll leave that for a moment. But what we learn about Jesus is revealed to us really uh, through this uh, miracle, really of catching all these fish. I trust for many of you, this is a familiar incident in the life of Jesus. Uh, if not, it, it's it's still one that startles us, just as we read about it. It would startle us more if we were if we were like Peter. Someone who made his or her living by way of fishing, uh, especially in the days in which uh, Jesus and Peter, Jesus and Peter lived. Um. Peter, a professional fisherman and his partners and his crews were out all night fishing. There was a great time to fish. And so there they were fishing. They caught nothing that night, uh, bad night. So they come in and they uh, get their nets and they wash them to get ready for the next day. If they don't wash them, uh, then they'll become brittle and all of that and they won't be good for fishing very long at all. And so they, they get their preparations done uh, for the next day. No doubt they're tired, uh, ready to get some sleep. And fishing all night, they've been working all night, and so you get the sense that they're, uh, you know, ready to 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 get some to get some sleep. Jesus comes on the scene, and when he comes on the scene, he's teaching. Uh, uh, people are pressing against him. You you can just see that, feel that, perhaps, and so he needs to get a bit away from them. A good. Way to do that is to go out in the lake a bit. And uh, so he gets asked for permission to use one of the boats, which he does. Uh, he goes out just a little bit, teaches the end of the teaching time. Then Jesus says to Peter, let's go fishing. You can only imagine. I'm sure you've thought about this, but you can only imagine what that would have done to this professional uh, fisherman. Uh, he's thinking, I know how to fish. Uh, you're a rabbi, ex-carpenter. And I know how to fish. Uh, I've been fishing at the best time that I know to fish, which was all night long. I caught absolutely nothing. Thus, there's absolutely nothing to be caught here. I know these things, Jesus. <sighs> we're already set for the next day. The nets are already prepared. We're just going to waste all that work. We're tired anyway. We go fishing now. We come back. We got to do that again. We might not get any sleep at all before we got to go back out. But then he says something fascinating because he knows Jesus. He's been with Jesus some already. He sees the, has seen the work of Jesus or the teaching of Jesus. And so he said, but, but at your word, Master, he calls him Master. He says, at your word, we'll do it. And so for no other reason at all, just his trust at that point, whatever that meant for him, that trust that he had in Jesus at that moment, he said, okay, we'll do it. And so they do it. So you know how this ends and, and you can only anticipate it. I suppose you would even anticipate it if you didn't know how it ended uh, as it's being told. And you go, I know this is going to work. He's going to catch a bunch of fish. And they do. They catch so much. They need the other boat. They catch so much. The nets are going to break uh, and all and the boats are going to sink. So it's a great catch. This would pr- maybe make his week, if not his month, maybe his year. I don't know. As a professional uh, fisherman, but he caught all this fish, w- which was amazing, obviously, Uh, To Peter, and again, if we could just get into his head for a minute, how amazing that was. He was as convinced as a human being can be convinced, based upon his whole lifetime, no doubt, of experience of fishing, that there were no fish to be had. And then to see all this, would just blow his mind completely, which it, which it really did. And so at that moment in time, Jesus then says to him, uh, uh, don't be afraid, uh, Peter, from now on you'll be catching men. so there we get the hint of it. There we see it. Then we see Jesus' point. We see something about Jesus. We see that Jesus has a mission. And he's going to enlist Peter. We'll see that in a minute. But but Jesus has a mission, and that mission is, is gathering people. Gathering, gathering, gathering people. Now, how's Jesus going to do that? How's Jesus going to gather these people? We already get a hint of it through Peter and people like Peter who are going to be fishers of people, if you will, fishers of men, gatherers of Men. But, but, but we can't disassociate what's happening here from the teaching that Jesus has been doing. Anytime Jesus did a miracle, it was almost always tied to a particular teaching, or at least his teaching in general. And as, as Luke lays out about Jesus, he begins by talking about Jesus as teacher and miracle worker, but Jesus as teacher. Uh, it's fascinating You turn back just a page to chapter 2 that when Jesus was 12 um, he, he got lost from his parents after Passover going home and uh, from Passover and so uh, he ended up in the temple and notice in um, chapter 2 I guess you got to turn over maybe two pages at least I do uh, verse 46 chapter 2 After three days, they, Mary uh, Mary and Joseph, found Jesus in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Jesus is a learner here. He's not the teacher in this setting. He's 12 years old. He's sitting with the rabbis. um, And no doubt, as he comes to learn, uh, it wouldn't be odd for a young boy to come and be in their presence to learn. And as he's Learning, they're no doubt asking him questions and also telling him some things. And also he's asking questions and they're answering questions. That would be the way this time of teaching would go. But notice he was sitting among them, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. <laughs> and so even the rabbis were impressed with the answers that he was giving to their questions and maybe even to some of his own. So when Jesus comes on the scene, uh, he's healing, yes, but he's, he's also, he's also uh, teaching. Notice in chapter 4, in verse 14, after Jesus is tempted by Satan, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and a report about him went all, all, through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. In other words, he would go into the synagogues and he would teach, as a rabbi would teach. Glorified by all just means everybody uh, looked at him and and, and were impressed, were amazed at his his teaching. Then verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for the word possessed authority. Authority. So so they saw in his word there was great authority, here. that authority would be confirmed in in the power of it to cast out demons, for instance, and bring healing by way of his word. These healings and and, and casting out demons were confirming the power and the truth of his word, who he was and what he had really come to do. And then in, in verse 43, closer to the event, that I read a minute ago. Verse 42, we could say, uh, we could begin. And when it was day, Jesus departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought after him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God uh, to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. In other words, he was sent to go to these other places, to go to various places, and to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Uh, and then we see he does just that when he comes to this Galilean uh, 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 lake, sea, uh, and he begins and he teaches. But notice he, he would teach them, preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And so... What he was teaching. It was good news and that expression good news is our word for gospel and it means that something epic has happened, something great is happening, something transforming has happened, something historically happens that changes Everything. It would, be, it would be used to announce or declare if, if, a, if, if a baby had been born to the king who was a son who would be the next king. That would be, that would change everything. Or if a great battle was won, it would be gospel, it would be good news. And now there's good news of the kingdom of God that is the rule of God coming to earth among men. And the Israelites, of course, would have been looking for that, this kingdom of God to come. And, and Jesus is now saying, it's here. And and what he mostly taught when he taught about the kingdom of God was he taught about himself. Turn to uh, chapter 4 and verse 16. It says, and and he, that is Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And so this is all Jesus teaching in the uh, in the synagogues on Sabbath. But notice, here we have very clearly what he was teaching, verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year, of the Lord's, I'm sorry, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, he was talking about himself as the king of the kingdom, as the bringer of the kingdom. That was his primary teaching. He said, all that was written about the kingdom of God in the Old Testament was about me, and here I am, thus here it is. And, and he said, as the king of this kingdom, I've come to release all the captives, that is, everyone who's been captive, made captive, enslaved by sin, and all of its effects that's why I'm here. The kingdom of God has come to undo all of that and sort of free from the effects of sin all those who have been affected by it, if you will. That is those who would believe in him. And so he has come to proclaim this good news to the poor. To proclaim liberty to the captives, that is, those enslaved by the penalty of sin and its power and recovering of sight to the blind, that is for those who are now spiritually blind because of sin, which is all of us, and to set at liberty those who are, those who are oppressed. And he said, you see, all of this is really about me. And so he's going to usher in this kingdom by his own wisdom, by his own power. All of it was at his initiative. He was, he'd, he'd come to do it, you see. We hear echoes of this as, as we read through the epistles, uh, that wonderful passage in the opening chapter of Paul's letter, the Apostles' letter to the church in Ephesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, who's chosen us in him before the foundations of the world. And Jesus come to say, I'm coming to do that. I'm coming to release those who are mine. The ones the Father has given me uh, to release them, you see. And we realize that he actually did that. In fact, as we, as we see it in the last book of the scripture, in, in Revelation, in chapter 5, as the Apostle John is seeing heaven, if you will, seeing the glorious place where the Lord is, he says in verse nine, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the, the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain by your blood. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. This is done. Jesus, Jesus really, really did it. But now he has this mission, you see, to, to gather all those for whom he died. And so he's going to gather them by sending gatherers to declare this gospel. And and so even as Luke ends up his gospel in Luke chapter 24, after the resurrection of, of Jesus, In Jerusalem, you're witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. We know then in, in, in the book of Acts, Luke continues his his writing as he, as he gives to us uh, sort of his second volume. And in Acts in chapter one and, and and verse eight, he says to his disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends uh, of the earth. And so, Jesus has a mission. We learn that about him. And we learn that he is the Lord of the mission. When that finally dawns on Peter, uh, Peter is able to say, Oh, Lord, you're the Lord. You're the Lord. You're the master, but you're the Lord. You're God. God in the flesh that's who you really are how much of that Peter also got how much was just a proclamation from seeing this great miracle but 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 if he gets it he's starting to see that Jesus really is the Lord God among us in our midst the king of the kingdom it's who he is so we see very quickly revealed about Jesus that He does have a mission and he has means by which he's going to fulfill that mission by way of his word and these gatherers, if you will, proclaimers of the word going out. And he can do all of that because he's the Lord. And you see, this miracle proves all that. Jesus says, listen, you didn't think there were any fish. They were fish. I'm the Lord of the fish and the Lord of all those who hear my word and believe. Trust me. And Peter, you see, sees himself in the midst of this when I mean, he sees himself in the midst of this, it, it, a bit of a surprising turn, at, at least for me, uh, verse 8 in Luke 5. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I mean, I, I would think Peter would just go, thanks. I mean, <laughs> you just made my week uh, financially. I mean, we can take the next few days off. This is great Jesus way to go. And then I think you'd probably think, well, they were my boat, you know. My nets, my guys. We had to go out and pull them in. So good for me, too, uh, for having this little fishing company and being here at the right time and doing all the work that you told us uh, to do. I would think that would be part of his response. But Peter's response was somehow to see In himself, a reflection. He saw the Lord. He saw Jesus. He saw his glory. There was something about this. I mean, again, I I don't even know how to put myself there. But just to be utterly amazed at that moment in time. And Peter's thinking, I know everything there is to know about fishing. This should never have happened. but it did and he's stunned so stunned that he realized i've trusted in myself really all these all these years i've trusted in myself in my own abilities and my own knowledge about fishing to be able to make a living and i thought i was doing it i thought i was really good at it and now i realize. wait a minute And he sees himself in light of this one who knows everything about everything, who's the Lord of even the fish. And he realizes that now he himself is one who's failed to glorify God, who is indeed a sinner. He sees himself in the light of Jesus. And it humbles him utterly. Earlier we read from Isaiah chapter 6, Deliberately, of course, because Isaiah has a similar experience. It wasn't fishing. It was it was seeing a vision of of God in the temple. But he had the same response when he saw this vision of God in the temple. uh, How did Isaiah respond? He says, whoa. woe to me. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips, and yet my eyes have seen the Lord of glory. In other words, he said, I've seen the Lord, and once I've seen the Lord, once I've encountered him, uh, I, I, I see myself. And my response is to say, "Woe!" is to say, I'm in trouble now uh, because I'm in the presence of all that is holy, and I'm not holy at all. And and and, and so he had the same exact response as Peter had at this particular moment in time humbled really in the presence of God but notice something else that the Lord says to Peter don't be afraid obviously Peter was afraid afraid I mean this isn't the kind of fear of the Lord that we talk about where we're just oh, and we're worshiping him no Peter's afraid in the presence of this power this wisdom. He's afraid. He realizes, just like Isaiah was afraid, he realized that in the presence of this holiness, all that can happen is that he could be destroyed, if you will. So life would end. And 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 yeah, Jesus says, "Don't be afraid." Now, it's all. It's not all fleshed out here. Why Jesus could say, "Don't be afraid." Uh, it's better fleshed out in the Isaiah passage because we see atonement being made for Isaiah's sins. When, when the coal was taken from the altar that was an altar of sacrifice, something had died, an animal had died in Isaiah's place, and the coal was a representation of that in the purging and cleansing, if you will. So, so we get that, but, but Jesus, don't be afraid. This sense of, I will atone for your sins. But what Peter would realize at this point is that his sin didn't keep him from the calling to go out and declare this gospel. So don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. It's as if Jesus is saying, I I, I can use you, sinful man. Isn't that a relief? Because if that's not the case, we're sunk. He couldn't use any of us at all. But it was similar to Isaiah's situation. Once atonement had made for Isaiah's sins, the the Lord asked this question, uh, who will go for me? Who can I send? And Isaiah was able at that point in time time to say, uh, send me. He knew his sin, but he knew the atoning work of Christ, of God at that point, of the sacrifice. But he said, send me. Here, Peter's being commissioned by the Lord to be part of this gathering mission. Even though he was a sinful man. Because he would be forgiven his sins. In in fact, no one can be part of the gathering until he or she realizes he's part of the ones who've been gathered the sinful ones who've been gathered, who know that experience, who have that experience, you see. P- Peter can only see himself as a gatherer only because he was gathered. And he goes, yes, this really works. This is really, this is really true. At least in my experience, may not in yours, but in my experience, what I find is those who seem to be Often the best at gathering are those who are so conscious that they've been gathered. Uh, it really worked. I really see it in my own life. And therefore, I can't wait to tell everybody and anybody about it. Remember last week as we as we considered that woman that Jesus encountered at the well in Samaria. When, when she finally realized who Jesus was and she realized who she was in his presence. But yet that he still loved her and, and had was giving her this living water, she was compelled to go everywhere and say, I found him. I found the one who knows everything about me and yet still loves me. I found him. I found the Messiah. And she's out telling everybody. You get the sense that she's convinced that if they meet him as she Has met them. Then they too will be just as thrilled. And just as filled. As she. That great sense of it. If only. You can see him. And. That's how. Peter would be. You know in Peter's life. Many of you. I'm sure. are Thinking that through. You know Peter wasn't. The prime example of one you'd want to, on your team necessarily. He seemed to get in Jesus' way all the time. And Jesus would announce that he was going to go to Jerusalem and, and be crucified. Peter would say, no, I won't let that happen. And Jesus would go, get behind me, Satan. Right? Or then when Jesus was at his most vulnerable place, uh, being tried and being beaten and all of that, and when Peter was asked, do you know this guy? Uh, three times he said, no, I, I don't know him. With, with each time getting more emphatic. But then there's this wonderful moment after the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus is telling the women uh, that he's, he wants to meet the disciples in Galilee. He says, go tell the disciples. And Peter, and you, you, you got to know that Peter would look back on his life. And if I were Peter, I'd be thinking, you know, if anybody writes this up, I hope you don't include those parts. But you see, that's those parts were so necessary in Peter's life that he would know Beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this gospel of the kingdom, I mean, it's really good news. I mean, it's everything that there is. Because it had so gripped him. Because he really had seen Jesus. And that's where he was, you see, as one who would see him so much so that this would become his life. And they would treasure Jesus so much they would leave everything. And, and follow him. And not only just leave that big, huge catch. I, I bet that was really hard for a fisherman to leave. You know, I mean, I'm sure he wanted a photo with every fish. Can can we can we wait here? Can we sell it? Can I get the money first? You don't get the sense that any of that took place. You get the sense that he just left it. How's that song go? The song goes... Uh, All I once held dear, built my life upon. We leave that all behind, you see. We, we don't trust in that anymore. No, we're not like Peter, obviously, but, but in Peter's case, he was able to leave all of this stuff. Why was that? Because he so treasured Jesus. And, and you get the sense from time to time that Peter may have struggled with that a bit. You might uh, recall the time that Jesus met that rich young man, and, and, and the man had a bunch of stuff. And, and, and he came to Jesus and said, you know... How is it that a a person inherits eternal life? And and Jesus said, ultimately, to this man, you've got to sell all that you have, give to the poor and follow me. That is, you've got to leave it all behind, really. And Peter said to Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. You wonder at that moment in time if Peter wasn't saying, how does this really work? And Jesus reassured him immediately. And he said, remember, whatever you've left behind, whether it's fathers or mothers or... Children or houses, you receive multiple, multiple, multiple blessings in this life and the life to come. And persecutions he throws in there. So all that will have, be, have meaning to you. But he said, that it, it's, you did the right thing, Peter, by leaving all behind. So, so, so what about us? That's the question. When we encounter Jesus, do we really see our sinfulness? I mean, really? Do we see this sinfulness, this hopelessness, to realize that the best we can do on our own is, is to be condemned by God for all eternity? That's, that's, that's really the reality of this. That's the humili- humility of it. To see ourselves in the presence of the Lord, to see his glory, to see ours, and to realize that our glory isn't glorious. And to see that we're hopeless and helpless. And we need this one to really save us. On the one hand, when when we see our sin, and if that's all we see in the presence of Jesus, then we should be literally afraid. See, see, see. No unbeliever should die, honestly, without terror. You know, that's the that's the reality of it. And facing, in facing the Lord. See, the only, the primary difference between hell and heaven is that in hell there's no mediator. There's no one who stands for us other than us. And in glory, there is always the mediator who stands for us. And so when we see our sin, there is that terror. But then when we see Jesus, the Redeemer, the one who atones for our sin, then he can legitimately say, don't be afraid, you see. I came to save, not to condemn. Trust in me. Trust in me, believe in me. So if we really then see him as the one who is our Savior. And then to realize, you see, that he has a mission and that his mission is to gather. And he's, as he's gathered us, he calls us to, to gather others in various ways. We're not going to be like Peter and be an apostle and all of that necessarily. But, but, but he calls us to be part of this, this great mission uh, with, with our children, perhaps. With the children of our church. As parents, you think about what your mission is for your kids. Is it they'd be great athletes? You'd think sometimes by the emphasis, or great academics, you, you, you would think by the emphasis that we put upon that, or, 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 or artists, or entertainers. Sometimes all of that comes before spiritual life amazingly we think oh they'll get the spiritual stuff along and along and we don't emphasize it like we do all the other stuff and I wonder why what's, what's, what's the real mission that we have for for our kids or our friends even in our own life and then, and then to think through this this great mission that we that we have J.I. Packer a theologian of some note in importance, at least in my own life. Talks about joy. And he says, a, a couple of the ingredients of joy in a person's life is number one, to have something worth having. And then, to have something worth giving. He says, if you only have something worth having, well, that's nice. But we're wired in such a way in the image of God that we're really wired. The joy really comes when we have something worth giving. We all need to be loved, but we're actually made to love. See, we often emphasize this need to be loved, fine. But if we're not loving, then we're not really human. We're not the people that God has made people to be. That is to love, to reflect him. And so joy, yes, I have something worth having. And of course, what we have in Jesus is eternal life. We have the living water. We have the life, right? We have the joy of the new wine, all of that. But if we just keep it, if we just keep it, the joy really fades. Because you see, we also, in having something worth having, we have something worth Giving. And when Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Can I simply say, without sounding too condescending, he was right. He was right. We've received something, but even the greater blessing is to give it, you see. And so he's calling Peter to great joy. Peter sees that and he says, okay, I'll go. Nothing could be better than this. So I'll go and I'll I'll give this message of the gospel because he, in fact, is the Lord. So what's revealed in your heart when you see him? When you encounter Jesus? Might I say that here he is? Now, not physically. When you meet Jesus in glory, he's not going to look like this. Little pieces of bread and juice in cups. All right? But this is the best picture we got in a lot of ways that he's given to us. That we should encounter him in a very real way because all of this represents his presence to us. I see what is what is present here is all that Jesus is and has and has done. His cross is present here oh he 's not being sacrificed again. That happened once and for all time But all that the cross did is present here, you see. And so we should see it. We should see forgiveness of sins. When we see Jesus here. We should see our redemption. We should see our reconciliation with God. We should see our communion, our union with him. You see, all of that. Right here. Clearly we see our sin because we see here that Christ had to die. But we see the love of God here because we realize that Jesus was willing to do it for us. And so we would not have to experience uh, the wrath of God. We see the mission here because we see that he's come to give himself so that all who would believe in him might have eternal life. And we see this mission because he's given to the church means of grace, of the word and the power of the spirit and our prayers and our fellowship and discipline and sacraments. And we see in this table, in Jesus' call to leave everything. Everything we trusted in. Everything we think, thought, is, was life. And receive it from him. And that's all true because on the night that he was betrayed, he was with his disciples, Jesus was, and he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke and he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. And in the same way, he took the cup. And this too, he Gave to them and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. The apostle adds this, often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. What are we declaring? So much. We're declaring that as we see him, he's the Lord. He's the Lord, declaring that his mission is great to gather. together all who will believe in him. And for all those who believe in him, there is eternal life. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would set this bread and this juice apart in such a way. That we would indeed encounter, by faith, Jesus, that we encounter this one, Jesus, who is here by his spirit. We would see our sin, but we would see also his cross that brings forgiveness. That we would see that he is everything and that we should leave all behind and trust in him and him alone. And that we would sense a calling as well to be people of faith in Jesus who have this great gift but now also have this great thing to share. and So that as we leave everything else that we once held dear, built our life upon, trusted in. And now we trust in Jesus that you would enable us as a people to take this message, declare it to others so that others may know and be gathered. that They may know the fullness of joy in Jesus and we might have this joy made complete. And this we pray in Jesus' name.